Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and reviews from one side of the from the perspective of the other. At least that's what I do normally. We look at US politics and the other part is UK. But every now and then, and especially recently, what I have done is devoted a whole show to one topic. And today is no exception. Today, we're going to look at Boris Johnson and the week that has seen him survive a vote of no confidence. Good evening. I can report as returning officer that 359 ballots were cast, no spoiled ballots, that the vote in favour uh, of having confidence in Boris Johnson as leader was 211 votes, and the vote against was 148 votes. And therefore, I can announce that the Parliamentary Party does have confidence. Paul Dudridge, I come to you. You are a right winger. You are my Tory friend. How did Boris Johnson survive this massive vote uh, of no confidence? If he has a vote of no confidence, most definitely from the British people, if not from the Parliamentary Conservative Party. How has he dodged the bullet, Paul? Well, I'm not sure he has, actually. I think that when you have those kind of percentages, I mean, percentage wise, I know she was coming from a lower base, but obviously famously now, they're pointing out Theresa May had a higher percentage of support that ushered in her demise. So I'm not sure if we look at the numbers in Parliament that he has survived. I think we're in uh, a time in UK politics, an unfinished people against the Parliament period of history. I don't think he has dodged the bullet, but I also don't think it matters. I think if he had one by one, then I think he'd have been in a position to call another election and it would have been another Brexit election. I thought what was interesting, if I'm not going off topic, was he was prepared to say today that in PMQs, that over a long time in politics and political life, I've you know basically accumulated a large number of enemies. 
And I thought that was kind of interesting that he voiced that, because if you're a Brexiteer like I am, and everything is about Brexit, until we get this Northern Ireland thing sorted, Brexit is still not finished. Everything is seen through that prism. So I'm not sure he dodged it. I think Parliament is, frankly, less important than the opinion of the people. I still believe if there was another referendum tomorrow, Leave would still win. And I think that uh, Boris is probably now... If they don't, if the 1922 committee don't change the rules, I think we're looking at a general election within the next 12 months after a restated Boris agenda. I'm somewhat worried that Brexit, the, the, the big B other than Boris, uh, has reared its head so soon into this conversation. As a, a right thinking Remainer, I kind of am quite impressed as to how us Remainers, the 48%, have actually got down with this with the result of Brexit and we don't bitch and complain about it but anyway let, let's try and put as much Brexit conversation behind us as we can appreciate if you're listening to this podcast in Northern Ireland uh, this still might be an incredibly burning issue that the people who said that they are governing on your behalf didn't think about you when we kind of went down this Brexit road but just for now let's as much as we can, try and focus in on, on Boris Johnson. Mike Holden, the Prime Minister was booed outside of Westminster, outside of St Paul's, sorry. He is incredibly unpopular. What political largesse does he have over those Tory MPs that a majority of them, 59%, said, no, he's the right person to lead us right now? What he did have and does still have in that particular vote is a large number of people who have a financial and career interest in keeping him where he is. There are a fair number of ministers, the majority, I would suggest, uh, but Paul may not agree, of ministers who are there pretty much because they will provide cover for Boris Johnson when he needs it. And that over and above any abilities they may have. There are some competent and, and even decent ministers around, but the majority of them are there to provide cover for, for Boris. And they know that if he goes, that may signal a swift end to their career. And also, there are not only the ministers, there are actually, if I can give you the breakdown, of those who voted in, in the no confidence vote, there were, I think, 170 or so, or on what they call the payroll vote. That means they are juniors, or they're in committees, or they are ministers, or private secretaries. But there are 170 people out of 211 whose career kind of hangs on his continued existence in the post. So when you take it by that, when you take that number out of the votes in support, about three quarters of the non-payroll vote, i.e. three quarters of people who don't have a financial interest in Boris staying there, wanted him gone. So that's a big inbuilt uh, advantage that the incumbent has. It's, it's interesting, though, if we look back at other leadership votes that the Tories have gone through, let's say since 1990. Let's just rattle through these figures. 1990 November, Margaret Thatcher had a vote and she won in the first round 55% of the Tory MPs. She was persuaded to stand down after two days. She says she was going to battle on 
But uh, the Tory grandees tapped her on the shoulder and said, no, if you only got 55%, you need to walk, Margaret. In June 1995, John Major had a similar vote and he won 66%. Uh, he lost a general election two years later. Ian Duncan Smith, the Tory leader that we all like to forget, in October 2003, lost the vote outright. He only got 45%. He resigned. December 2018, Theresa May got 63%. And that was seen as being a fatal wound. She resigned six months later. Boris Johnson only got 59% of Tory MPs and has basically said that Helen Highwater, he's not leaving. Shannon, what does he say about the levels of support that a, a Tory incumbent thinks that they need to command to be able to safely do their job? Because to me, if you've got 40% of your parliamentary party against you, you should walk. It's time to refresh. And what has changed between, let's say, Theresa May, Boris, and those other Tory leaders that somebody who has four out of 10 of their colleagues thinking they shouldn't do the job, can't do the job, they're wrong for the job, they're going to stick it out. What's changed? I would agree. I think it's a large enough number of his colleagues that have lost faith in him that he should walk away as previous prime ministers have done. But I think the difference between Boris Johnson and his predecessors that have been through a similar process is that he seems to lack any sort of shame that we have seen other prime ministers. I don't think the man has any shame. And the fact that he has said through hell and high water, I'm going to soldier on, says exactly that. I think that he wants to be in this position of power and he doesn't want to, to lose it and go down in history as someone who's stepped down or stepped down or resigned. So that lack of shame will keep him powering on through. And I think that comes from, you know, his upbringing, his education, the, the distinct privilege that he has enjoyed his entire life. He doesn't want to give that up. And I think that he likely believes that if he doesn't want to give it up, he shouldn't have to. So I, I honestly think that that's the difference between him and his predecessors is the man has little to no shame. Navanita, welcome to Mid-Atlantic. I believe it's your first time on stage with us. The Tory rebels, do the reason why Boris Johnson is still in power, the fact that they were unfocused, surely this vote should have come after the Tories lose the two forthcoming by-elections. To begin with, I agree with both Mike and Shannon. And Boris Johnson is a man who thinks only about himself. And what happened is, I think, the, the event at St. Paul's and then followed by that at the next day at the palace, I think that made a lot of the Tory MPs rethink because he was booed by the public. And they realized how insecure they had become. The point with Boris Johnson and Probably this wouldn't have happened now. It would have probably, what you're saying is actually they would have waited till the June elections. And I think that was the thinking earlier that till the June elections, they'll keep quiet and then there'll be a, a stronger rebellion. And this was very instantaneous and very, you know, not thought of because of what they saw happening on the streets of London. They realized that they couldn't go on. So it was not a pre-planned thing. And the point is that he has a whole load of suck-ups as his cabinet. He's very smart that way because that's the kind of people he's put there. And these people will not have a job after he's gone. So 
in that sense he feels secure but i personally feel now at this, this has come to a stage when somebody within the tory party has to make a voice and i think that's what the members who have rebelled against him and there are many more even the conservative voters there's a huge percentage that does not want boris johnson so he's i think after the june elections things will become clearer and then there might be this movement already they're talking about organizing themselves and trying to figure out if they can have a no confidence vote in less than a year but he's like a lame duck this week's events uh, mr speaker have demonstrated just how loathed this prime minister is yeah. and that's only in his own party <laughs> administration is too distracted by its internal divisions to deal with the challenges we face. Can the Prime Minister explain if 148 of his own backbenchers don't trust him, why on earth should the country? Well, I, I, thank, I thank the Right Honourable Lady very much for her question and I can assure her that uh, in a long uh, political career so far I have of course picked up, so, uh, barely begun, I have of course picked up political opponents all over the place. And, uh, and, that is, and that is because, and that is because, it's, it's, and that is because uh, this government has done some very big and very remarkable things uh, which they did not necessarily approve of. And I, what I want her to know is that absolutely nothing and no one, uh, least of all her, is going to stop us with getting on uh, for delivering. Have Tory MPs priced in the fact that they're probably going to lose the next two by-election results, one of them to the Labour Party, one of them to the Lib Dems, and they've said, we can still see our legislative agenda through. Paul Dudridge. Yes, they have priced it in. As I was alluding to earlier, he's in a kind of interesting position now because he is a man that couldn't call a general election. Anybody that was voting against him or voting for him because they feared for their jobs or wanted wanted jobs in the new administration, he actually can call the next general election whenever he wants. So if their jobs look precarious, they're going to be even more precarious unless there's some semblance of backing him. He can pull the pin on this anytime he wants. So yes, they have factored that in. Uh, to be fair, I think that we get sort of a bit understandably febrile about uh, these kind of events, about by-elections. None of us can remember off the top of our heads the, you know, the, the by-elections that changed history, you know, UKIP coming second, etc. We can't remember where any of those things happened, like Edgeware or whatever. The, the fact is every, uh, every government midterm gets a battering from its electorate. It's more concerning, I think, for Labour that they're only something like eight points. If they're under 10 points ahead, basically, and they really should be at 16 to 18 points ahead at this if the unpopularity was really there out in the nation as much as it is amongst political commentators. So yes, it is factored in. And I don't think, again, everything would be about Brexit with the general public. And I think any kind of coalition with somebody like a Farage in the next general election would secure him victory again. One of the things that did interest me, and particularly kind of pointing at Paul a little bit, is some of the right-wing press in the UK spoke this week about a Remaniac, Remainer, Ramona coalition attacking the Prime Minister. But some of the people who have actually called for him to go openly 
include Steve Baker, who was was or is head of the uh, European Research Group, Andrea Ledson. So some very prominent Brexiters have openly said that the law-breaking and the lying are too much to bear. Now, wh- whether it's... Um, Directly related to Brexit, I don't, I don't know. Although I, I draw some parallels with those things, but some Brexiters have called for him to go. And also, we do have the the situation now building, which may scare Paul a little bit, in that there is a an unofficial progressive alliance building, whereby in the Wakefield seat, Labour are likely to take it because the Lib Dems are are, are taking the foot off the gas there. They're concentrating on the Devon seat. And they've got a, a smaller but still ch- a good chance, I think, of taking that seat. So if the Tories are faced with a situation where the most likely to unseat a Tory candidate is allowed a slightly freer run, it could spell some danger for the Tories coming up. That won't worry a man with the lack of shame, uh, as Shannon says, or the abundance of confidence that Johnson has, but it may worry some of his colleagues, and that may tempt them to move him out before he does call that snap election that he's been talking about. Sorry, um, can I just come back on that? Go on, Paul. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think the analysis is 100% right. There are people that are avowed Brexiteers who are opposing him. Look, Farage is opposing him. Farage wants him gone. The, the point is, let's say we go the full term with the general election. Any of those alliances crumble the moment Farage gets his hands on any constituency, that the public haven't really changed their minds in the numbers that people have assumed or that commentators uh, would assume. So there are allegiances forming, but they're not across, how can I say, they're only prima facie on a party political level. The minute you get any kind of election that comes up, you only have to have the dog whistle coming from Farage saying they're stealing Brexit. They're going to take Brexit away. And even if we lost Brexit, he'd be able to decimate so many of what used to be the Red Wall by um, posing, you know, the reconstituted Brexit party reform or whatever they call it now, targeted targeting particular um, constituencies. It's It's being read very much like very hardcore Brexiteers like myself as an established, rightly or wrongly, I could be wrong and paranoid, but that would be many of us. It's a, it's part of a rolling establishment coup to destabilise Brexit and to probably get us back into the into the single market. So the the, the thing is that that's that's the, that's the Mexican standoff. Without wanting to sound too offensive, that's the standoff we're in. They can't, they don't want to get rid of Boris because it will still be another vote on the referendum again because so you, you, un, you unleash Farage. At least on the political left within the UK, the conversation about Brexit has just gone, right? And yes, the vote on Brexit wasn't strictly right and left, but it did kind of roughly line up that way, roughly. Labour Party isn't talking about relitigating Brexit. The Lib Dems, who are the most remainable parties, aren't talking about, about that at all. And interestingly, what I think this is about is the political soul of politics right of centre. If you actually look at these leadership elections, whether it is the Tory party being in an, a commanding position in the Houses of Parliament in the last 30, 40 years, there is this 
periodic bloodletting, which seems to happen with increasing frequency now. Margaret Thatcher was, yes, she was unpopular when she had that leadership vote, but still people didn't think she was that unpopular within, within the Tory party. And this is something which the Conservative Party goes in for much more regularly than the Labour Party now, or even the Lib Dems. And you do it in the full glare uh, of sunshine. And I find this incredibly fascinating, that there is an existential fight for the soul of right of centre politics. And, and in this regard, I will agree with you that somebody like Farage absolutely is that, that kind of combustible element. The far right of conservative politics could well be the tail that is wagging the dog in, in this regard. And, and I think one of the outcomes we, we potentially are going to see is the end of the United Kingdom as a political unit, which has Scotland as part of it. Shannon, how seriously should any politician take them being booed in public on a weekend of national celebration? Should they just, you know, shrug it off and say, I've got a job to do? Or should they say, I'm reading the room here? Even when Keir Starmer came afterwards, a few minutes afterwards, he wasn't booed. Polite, muted applause, I believe. How important should a politician take public display of disaffection? Well, I think there's two different factors to this. There's how they probably should feel about it and how they probably do feel about it. And I think that that was quite a strong sign of just how strongly so many members of the public feel about his behaviour and what's been happening. And I think the fact that they would, I don't want to say taint, but, you know, taint what should be a very positive and jubilant moment for the country. Obviously, everyone presumably who was there outside St. Paul's is a, an eager royalist and was in a great mood celebrating the Jubilee, but they still took time out of their day to boo Boris Johnson. And I think that is very indicative of just how ha unhappy so many members of the public are, including people who are historically Tory voters. So I think that should be taken quite seriously, because at the end of the day, if you are a politician, you are in a, a position of public service. You are in a position where technically you are supposed to be working for the public. You are in service to the country. I think when all of, all of these kind of roles were created, the idea was you get into politics because you want to make the country better and you want to improve the lives of the people that live in it. The reality now is probably that most people that are in politics are there because they've got a bit of a power complex and not because they've really got much of an interest in making, you know, the average Joe's life any better. Then if you look at the side of how Boris Johnson probably did feel about it, I, you know, I think he's probably laughed it off and said, you know, oh, the peasants are booing me. I, I don't particularly care very much. I don't think he has taken that very seriously at all. And probably quite a few people within the Tory party haven't taken that very seriously either because I don't think people view politics and working in politics in the way that perhaps the public view it. The public see these people as people who work for them, who should be working to make their lives better and make this country better. But I, I, I don't think they see themselves as, as doing that at all. I think it's a power trip for many people in all parties. I'm not specifically talking about the Tories necessarily. But I personally think that you should probably be taking that fairly seriously and as a good indication of how people feel. But 
I just can't see Boris Johnson going home and losing any sleep over that at all. Now, Benita, Paul said something which is hard to disagree with earlier. He said that the Labour Party should be much further ahead in the polls. Why are they doing so badly relative to this current incumbent of 10 Downing Street, who is seen as being an abject failure and probably even more important than that, an outright liar? Well, my take on this would be that Labour Party has struggled within itself. The Corbynism, etc., etc. They've been trying to struggle to come back somewhere. They're at a basic fighting kind of a position. And they know they're not there. That is why I think today Keir Starmer went on to policy. They don't want Boris Johnson to go right now because for them it's not good enough, given the ratings, as you said. And for them, it is better to wait it out so that Boris Johnson runs out of fire. It has to be a Labour Lib Dem kind of association, which is not very clear to voters. And despite the fact that they don't want to vote the Conservative, a lot of the Tory voters have said that they can't find an alternative. Labour is struggling. So maybe Kirstama, I think what he did today was just go into policy discussion because I think he realized this guy is going nowhere. So, but yes, I agree with you. So uh, I think that is my take on this one. Thank you for that, Nabonita. Mike, are we going to see this vote strike? There's lots of talk that with the amount of MPs that are ranged against Johnson on his own benches, that tactically they can stymie any government legislation now, which will then just unravel uh, this administration in, in double quick time. Is that going to come to pass? If you're asking my opinion, I would think it's not very likely because of the, the, the majority has in the, any rebellious group. The, there are so many against him now that they split into their own factions. Many Brexiteers and uh, ERG members are against him, but also many of the new intake, Red Wall, aren't happy with having to support a man who breaks the law, laughs at the public and lies about it. As uh, Navanita was saying earlier on, and uh, uh, Shannon also touched upon there, uh, a man with no shame is it, a difficult thing to, to, to counter, but his own party must be absolutely terrified because... There's a lot on the horizon. The, the OECD have said we are looking at zero growth next year. Now, whether you put that down to Brexit or whatever you put it down to, it's going to look very bad for whoever's in charge. But I don't think that the various solutions to those problems will come from one faction to the point where one faction can group together and say, we will not vote with the Prime Minister. I think what's much more likely is... The 1922 committee, or the committee of non-ministers and backbenchers in the party, will look at the rules to see about changing them so that he's not guaranteed to be there another 12 months. And once that happens, I think even his, his allies will start seeing that if the 1922 committee are changing the rules to start getting him out, that will be the exit for him. I don't think there will be a mass rebellion of support because... There are too many different factions that will oppose him, and they're all in different places. So if uh, we're about to find out, actually, because the, there's talk about the Northern Ireland bill going through any time soon, and we're told that will be whipped, and we're told that there will potentially, I mean, many threats from the Johnson camp are hollow threats, but we are told that there are, uh, it will be whipped and there could be expulsions 
if people don't support it. So we'll see if there are a few people brave enough to oppose. But again, the, the ERG crowd and the Brexit crowd won't oppose it. So there won't be enough to stop him getting through uh, policies he may want to get through. I don't think. That's my opinion. Shannon and Nabita may disagree. Now is the time, good people in the audience, for you to come up and join us on stage. Quite simply, raise your hand if you've got a point you'd like to make about Boris Johnson, the Tory party, the state of British politics. Now is your time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Time uh, to come up and join us. Now, the one thing I, I would ask you uh, to do, though, is to make sure uh, that you have a full profile. And, and that means a couple of links to social media, because in that way, then I know that, dare I say, you're going to be a good faith actor and, uh, and actually you are real. So if you fulfill the criteria of having a couple of links to social media and you've written a little bit of something about you, we would love to have you up on stage let's see who we have here spend me one minute all right thank you ahmed welcome onto the stage and friend of the pod guta hegarty ahmed you're the first person on stage what is your point really hi everyone i'm not really good with the british politics but i just want to say it was really instructive to hear all of you especially shannon and it just makes me learn a little bit more, a lot about what's going on in UK because I've been to UK, I lived in UK, I love the UK, but it's just like I have this gray picture about what's going on in the politics of the UK. So, but hearing you all, I'm starting to understand and get more of the picture. And all I would say is good luck to every British person or resident in UK who's fighting. Well, well, well thank you uh, for that, Ahmed. And yes, but one of the uh, goals of Mid Atlantic is to shine a light on politics, both sides of the Atlantic, so the other side gleams and, and learns from it. So, so thank you for that. 
Guta Hegarty, you've come up on stage. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Reinfeld. And well, my question is about the Irish Times red line today. Historic low point. Is unilateral action or not is taken? This is what the cares our prime minister. And that is going to imply on breaking the Good Friday Agreement, basically, and the rules of passing, I think, on the frontier. What you guys have to say, I mean, uh, clearly, especially with the Sean Fenn victory finally in the North, I don't see a very good uh, perspective for Ireland in the next years if this is going to happen, because I feel that we could have troubles back easily. Paul, I'm going to throw this to you. I think it's quite serious that uh, British government is looking at ripping up international treaties and going against uh, precedent and law set by, by previous governments. That is one of the cornerstones of government, that you abide by international law. And I think whether you're a Remainer or a Brexiteer, Northern Ireland and the situation of that border was forgotten about. The ramifications, considering that people who cried the loudest for Brexit talked about taking back sovereignty, where in effect we've ceded sovereignty over some 2 million British citizens, at least economically, and drawn a line down the Irish Sea. What should we do with Northern Ireland, to Guta's point? How serious is it for us mainland Brits? Before I bore everybody even more with my drone, which, which laws are you saying that they've broken, Royfield, specifically? We, 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 we haven't yet, but we've said we're prepared to rip up the Good Friday a a Agreement. We have said that. The, the DUP are in turmoil over this. There are two leaders of that party who have basically said that their position is untenable. There was no government in Northern Ireland because of the impasse of us. And, and again, I'm saying there's equal wrong on both parts here. Remainers... No, no, I, yeah, no, I just want to be... No, yeah, I'm, we're, we're I'm, about listen, to I, break. I, I can clarify that the UK pause to introduce build this mentally Northern Ireland protocol. Yeah. The government is poised to press ahead with legislation that would override key parts of the Brexit divorce agreement that covers trading rules for Northern Ireland. So there's two things that they are breaking immediately, just on the thought of. Well, again, that's why I wanted to be specific. You know, that isn't the Good Friday Agreement. That the narrative is is that altering the Northern Ireland Protocol would have that impact. And it needn't necessarily. Ireland is an EU country. Ireland can also decide whether or not it values the Good Friday Agreement. The fact is, and everybody's heard about this, I'm sure, if you're, you know, that th there is a clause in the Northern Ireland Protocol. I mean, if the Northern Ireland Protocol even carries on existing, I think it only lasts, correct me if I'm wrong, to like 2025, when yes. both parties, is that right? Yeah, should 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 be over in the next three years, which of correct. So exactly. that, that's it, correct. If you look at international law, I mean, again, it's not in front of me, sadly, but when I've uh, talked about this in the last few weeks on various kind of shows, it's 
the fact is, it's like people like Spain, massive breach of some EU regulation, law, whatever. I can't remember what it is that they do. But again, not uncommon. There's actually a break clause in the Northern Ireland Protocol. So the, the idea that they'd be breaking a law when they're actually just taking advantage of a clause. And you have to remember, the only party that's ever talked about rescinding the Northern Ireland Protocol is the EU. The, the EU did that at the beginning of 2021 about the drugs exportation during COVID. They are the only people to evoke a breach or a rescinding. It still would have been legal, but they, they, they evoked it for, invoked it first rather. It's a reasonable negotiation. The fact of the, the matter is that Theresa May's administration gave, if you, if you remember the tortuous kind of negotiation that took place, they started the negotiation with, okay, EU, you can set the timetable and we, we agree to not move on until Northern Ireland is fixed. And so we couldn't get on to the second part of the negotiation, I would say the more important, bearing in mind the percentage of trade actually done through the EU to Northern Ireland, bearing in mind their biggest market is GB. But that set, that was agreed before Boris and Frost could even get in, that the timetable of the negotiation and the fact that Northern Ireland was already off the table. If you read Lord Frost in The Telegraph, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think he goes into, is it Frost in The Telegraph? Uh, it could have been Hannon in The Telegraph and then Frost in The Guardian. They go into some detail about the fact that it was decided before they even got to the table. So there is a break clause. Utilizing it wouldn't be illegal any more than anybody accused the EU of threatening to break international law. They were simply invoking Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol, and nobody on the Remain side, for want of a better word, accused them of breaking any law. The, the break clause is there, and there's actually a sunset clause on the Northern Ireland Protocol Anyway, this hyperbole is kind of dishonest and is geared towards kind of painting the UK into some kind of law-breaking light, which just isn't accurate. Paul, that is a full-throated and well-reasoned defence of government policy. One of the problems is, though, with, with your premise, is that it's adding to whatever is, ha is going on, is adding to adding volatility to the politics of Northern Ireland. And the DUP, the main unionist party, is massively in turmoil. And maybe it is less to do with the post-Brexit strictures which have been put in place and everything to do with the fact that we are completely and utterly looking at the end of British rule in Northern Ireland. And nobody in the mainland seems to be really that bothered about it. But Chip, Sal, you've, you've come up on stage. Chip, what's your question, sir? Well, thank you for getting myself updated. I came to this country in 1977 and then left this country in 1992 after having graduated from a British university here. And I was sort of, I wouldn't call it, but ideologically brought up by Margaret Thatcher and the Tory party of that generation. I was simply sympathy, shocked sir. after... You have my sympathies. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, <laughs> I have come back after a good 25 years, ha having stayed in Hong Kong. I was shocked by the, I mean, by the, 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 the shrinking of, of the political stature 
of MPs and politicians and political parties of this country even compare with what I witnessed 40 years ago. You had figures like Michael Hasseltine in Douglas Heard and many the kind of old-fashioned Tories who would at least look, who looked like as if they wanted to make the country great and life better for the average people. Even Margaret Thatcher, I mean, you would strongly disagree with her private, uh, with her free market policy, deregulating the bank, causing the, uh, the, the bank debt, you know, years after, but you would not doubt her honesty and integrity, and even John Major, as the former speaker famously put it. But now it seems that it's a, it's, it's a troop of midgets, right? And this so, country is, so is, is surrounded by many burning issues. Uh, now, my question is, mm-hmm. can the Tory party or the Labour party produce an alternative just in like in the old days, like John Smith from the Labour Party and other contesters, you know, in 1990, uh, 1992, uh, uh, 91, after Margaret Thatcher was overthrown. At least, you know, there would be, there were Douglas Hurd, John Major, and who else, right? And there Nigel were those Lawson. contesters. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 now, the, 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 Nigel Lawson, yes. Yeah. Well, okay, Chip. Let, let yes, and also... Quick question. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, no. Thank you, you. You made a statement, and, and let, let me paraphrase it. You are saying, where are the, the big characters? Where are the people of integrity in, in British politics? And have, has our political class shrunk in, in, in terms of their size and their stature? Shannon Mabry, I think you're a little bit too young to remember the days of Douglas Heard, Nigel Lawson, etc. So I'm going to pass on you for now, but I'm going to come back to you with another que- with another question in in a little bit. Nabonita, has our political class shrunk in size and in integrity? Absolutely, there is no doubt about it. I've watched, okay, not the Thatcher era, but yeah, Major Tony Blair. Everybody, I mean both sides of the spectrum and the political quality of British politicians has really shrunk. And I think it's, it's, it's not just in, in this country, it's happening the world over. And the sad but, part but of Anita, this... I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in because I'm looking at time and I think this is a really interesting question. Has it though? One of the most successful politicians in the Western world recently has been Angela Merkel. In Germany, there are politicians in the rest of the liberal industrialized world of which you can say have put their head above the parapet, have made tough decisions and have classically been leaders. And I'm not going to say that this leader, the person I'm now also going to mention is in the same bracket as Angela Merkel. But Boris Johnson not resigning on principle because he's been fined by the police and lied about attending those parties. I'll contrast that with another Bullingdon Club member, David Cameron, who went, who campaigned to remain. And when that vote was lost, said, I need to do the decent thing and resign. There's no constitutional reason why David Cameron had to resign. Here is somebody who was led, whether I like his politics or not, by principle. So I so is it right to say that all of our politicians 
are pygmies now. Mark, I'm talking about the present times. I'm not talking. I respect David Cameron walking out of it. I respect Theresa May. You know, whatever happened is one thing, but this guy just takes the Mickey out of everybody. I mean, this is what I'm saying. I'm talking about the present day. You're talking about Angela Merkel. No, I'm not talking about that point in time. I'm talking about the here and now and look at it across the globe. There are people in various countries that are just like this. I mean, it's like you can write a rule book of these kind of people. That respect has gone for politics. It's like I'm here for myself. I'm going to, I've been made prime minister. I'm going to stick around here. Again, that is where we need to look at where the laws need to change just, just because I'm democratically elected once and I've lost all support from within my own party, but I still hang on. So I think there has to be a change because we've got very self-serving people as leaders and we brought them. So we can't blame right. anybody else, but then I, rules need to change now. I don't know. We've got Paddy Morden, Jeremy Hunt, Nadim Zidawi. You know, we've got Fantastic politicians who are visionaries and of people of, of integrity. Denise Churan, you've joined us on stage. You're going to be the last person to put a question to our panel. Denise, what's your point? Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks, guys. I just bumped into the room. I don't know. It looks like the clubhouse algorithm. A statement followed with a question. Um, I am ex-Londoner, as you see on my profile, and but I... I was forced to leave the country because I was officially made homeless thanks to COVID. I will touch to the party and the Johnson's politics, how it actually affect me. But I never in my life played a victim because I never needed to. But sometimes uh, you just have to accept the fact. And I was the owner of a huge venue in the city of London pretty much next to Bank of England. So we're talking about a, a high collaborative area. And the, the politics involved with the COVID was, to me, was a shamble. Because um, six-figure, nearly seven-figure entrepreneur, we were just hooked up listening to the whole politics, how the government will take shape to the COVID. And it was like, you remember the joke, uh, one of the comedian, I, I don't recall the name, but you all remember it, like maybe perhaps we may do this, we might do that, but maybe we not, yes, we do, we might not. Dennis, and Dennis, right, in, in, just in the interest of time, are, are you going to land a point which is less about yes, COVID and more, and, but one which is to do with Boris Johnson, the Tory party and, and political leadership? Go, keep going then. I will. Now, the... The politics and the whole COVID pass away. I was a taxpayer for such a long years and I was forced to leave the country. And I believe it was the politics involved with the Conservative Party, which I didn't actually uh, enjoy. And now I watch it from overseas, uh, how Boris Johnson actually finds by his taking actions. But... The, yes, there is no other party we feel like being a saver. And the question is, because there is no one else that we feel from the Labour part is actually able to take over, are we supposed to continue this? Is that how it's going to go? Because if that's so, I just will continue being completely 
governmentless and just independent homeless, but with an integrity, because I believe the governments, especially the current ruling party, has lost all the trust. Because just simply, just simply because I was forced to leave the country because I'm homeless. Is there any way you can describe me, regardless of COVID, forget the COVID, but due to current financial situation, I'm a British citizen and I can't go back to my country because I can't leave there. That's my statement and question, if that's okay. Thank you so much for allowing Thank me you. Thank you for that, Dennis. Shannon, why don't we have a more effective opposition? Why is could Sir Keir Starmer be doing a much better job and actually be the tip, the fulcrum of the nation's disapproval of this bloated buffoon of a prime minister so that people like Dennis can actually think and believe that there is an, a credible option to the current Conservative government? I think this is actually a problem that we see on both sides of the pond, to be honest, and that is a painfully ineffective left. And I think the Democrats have this problem in the US and Labour seems to have this problem in the UK as well. For a start, I find it strange that we have a leader of the Labour Party whose name starts with Sir. I believe someone mentioned that in the chat earlier. That just seems kind of wildly opposed to Labour values in general. But I don't think he was necessarily the right choice as leader for the Labour Party. And I think that there are perhaps other better candidates within the party even now. And I think that we need someone who perhaps is somewhere between Sir Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn. I personally liked Jeremy Corbyn, but I think perhaps he was maybe a little bit too left for certain people, certain populations in the country, but we need someone who is between the two because I've joked before, especially in the early, early times of Keir Starmer in his current role, you know, Keir Starmer is a Tory plant, convince me otherwise. And although recently I've liked him a little bit more and he's landed some decent blows against Boris Johnson in PMQs, I still think that he is not quite left enough for the Labour Labour base and the majority of Labour voters. I just don't think he is quite the right person. But I I do think that it's a problem that we see, you know, between both the US and the UK. Our left wing government just seems to be painfully ineffective when you need them to be at their very best, when you need them to kind of really pull out all the stops and pull out the big guns and land some heavy blows. They just don't seem to be as effective as they they could and should be. So it's it's painful to watch, honestly, but I just don't think Keir Starmer is quite the right guy to really rile up the the Labour base and create a convincing majority if we were to have another election anytime soon, which is a shame, to be honest. But I, he's not, personally, for me, he's not the right guy. If I may, Royfield. Very quickly, you've literally got 60 seconds, sir. To the point at question, I think that when Sakir first came in, I was quite interested to see what he could do. I think he was a, in many other people's minds, a, a neo Blairite. But you know, he was given the not because of a class system, because of the work he did um, in his previous position. Uh, unfortunately, he lacks to 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 mirror Shannon's point. He lacks a certain uh, amount of energy, and I, frankly, someone who follows British politics quite extensively 
doesn't really know what he stands for. I think he would be a better uh, leader at the moment than Boris Johnson would. But as it stands, the left is unable to be at centre or far able to sort of unite around a singular individual. I wouldn't I wouldn't really put that in the same context or bracket as the Americans. I mean, technically, you could say that the left more leaning of the two parties is in power, but it's more because you've got members of the squad and AOCs and um, Bernie Saunders that sort of really split the, the Democrats apart whilst with the Labour it's sort of a little bit less obvious who the far left candidates are at times so and also just because America is so much more right wing than Britain in, in, in many areas so you know unfortunately I think Zakir lacks the certain clear leadership qualities in some ways but I do not think that Boris Johnson is going to last beyond this no previous Prime Minister that was held a vote of no confidence lasted more than a few months so I think there'll be another one let's see what the, happens in the by-elections that are upcoming as well. Thank you for that, Piotr Kozen. And I, and I think in this, Shannon, I do agree that Sakia Starmer and the Labour Party seem to lack a cohesive alternative vision, which ultimately has some level of levelling up, redistribution of resources, etc., etc. There doesn't appear to be that solid Labour 21st century narrative. And that's absolutely what, what uh, left of centre politics needs, as opposed to just being in opposition to a bunch of slightly entitled posh blokes who, who are in power. On that note, I'd like to thank Mike Holden, a returning friend of the podcast, for joining us. Nabanita, thank you for joining us on stage. Shannon Mabry, my friend from another parish, the F1 parish, who is on the uh, Race Directors podcast. She's the host of that. Good friend of mine. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. Paul Doddridge, welcome back to Mid-Atlantic, sir. Good to Hegarty. We're always good friends on Clubhouse. You and I, Chip Sal, Ahmed, Dennis, and, and of course, my good friend Piotr Curzon. Thank you for making this uh, a fantastic one hour and nine minutes of political chat here at Mid Atlantic. If you're in the audience, give everybody on stage a follow. There's some great thinkers and they're good people. Give, give them a follow. It's a way of giving them a little bit of a, a round of applause. Look at the greenhouse icon, which I believe is top left uh, on your smartphone. Hit that. Uh, it should say Mid-Atlantic. Become a member of the Mid-Atlantic Club so when I go live with a room, you can join us. You can have a ringside seat, which also means that you can come up on stage also. If you're listening to the podcast, and there's some 5,000 of you download this podcast every episode, why don't you download the Clubhouse app? It means that you then can also be in the audience and you can ask a question and you can be part of the interactive podcast, which is Mid-Atlantic. We do have a show, which is three quarters edited, about America and its inability uh, to do anything to do with uh, gun legislation and the, the mountain death toll, which seems to happen in and around its schools and, and grocery stores. That should be with you early next week. It was actually recorded the day after the latest outrage in, in Texas. So maybe that's, so just bear that in mind when you do listen to that. So some of the references will be a week or so old, but I think it's a really powerful and a needed conversation. And I try to step out of it as much as I can, because technically speaking, as a Brit and a British citizen, this isn't my fight, but as a human being, just watching the carnage and being a citizen of the world like everybody else you just say why does this keep on happening in america and why can't americans do anything about it so that's a 
That is a show which will come out a day or two after this one. Don't forget, folks, left of centre politics is right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters. We just try and win them over the strength of our argument and we hold out the hand of friendship to people, whatever their political stripes, as long as they are not xenophobic, that we draw a line at. That is at the essence of what we try and do here at Mid-Atlantic. We try and learn from each other. This is, we try and learn from both sides of the Atlantic and from each political stripe. You can send me an email at royfield at gmail.com if you'd like to comment about the show. Please, 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 if you have a spare moment, go over to a podcatcher of your choice and uh, write us a review. Rate this podcast because it means that more people will get to listen to it. This has been me, Royfield Brown, giving you another Mid-Atlantic and looking at Boris Johnson's week and trying to understand the internal dynamics of the Conservative Party. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. There you go, everyone. Thank you for that. Thanks, Roy. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, everyone. Yeah, it was a great discussion. Listen, Mike, it was lovely lovely to have you back, sir. And and you know what? I did want to ask you um, a few more questions about these uh, red wall seats because, you know, you're perfectly placed for that. But but maybe next time. I think the next time we do a room, we'll we'll go back to doing UK, UK and US for a little bit. But uh, but if you can... No, it's fine. I'm embedded in the red wall. In fact, I had an argument... uh, Sorry, mate. Uh, I had an argument with my own MP last night about it. Oh, Um, who's who's your MP and who won the argument? It's called, well, I won the argument, of course. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.